Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Good evening and welcome to episode three of Sugar in Silk, starring myself, Ben Doughty. And myself, Michael Silkolajide. You, you know doing, something, man? Silk? Um, yes, your friend of mine, Kathy Dublin, yes. she's accused my intro of being a little too stiff and too kind of quintessentially English in a way that she finds frankly comical. I just wanted to know, you know, to your American ears or your kind of Canadian-American ears, because she's not fully American either, yeah. how was that this week? Was it good? I thought you were great. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking the wars right now. And in fact, I know myself, I'm, I'm Nigerian, English, Canadian, American. So, yeah, we've I, been through this. You, yeah. you, you and her, you, you're both Americanized is the thing. You were Americanized and you were kind of have Americanisms, <laughs> you know, but um, well, nothing wrong with being thorough. I know that then that's cool. And you, you got that. Down. I like that. Okay. Brilliant. So we can only go up from here. Listen, <laughs> Talking about the weekend's action, first yes. of all, we'll start in uh, London, England, because chronologically it occurred first. Okay. Katie Taylor headlined the show at Wembley Arena last night, and oh. she uh, won a 10-round decision over one Karen Elizabeth Carbajal from Brazil. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if you caught that fight, Michael, but I to me, the Brazilian girl looked kind of novice, to be honest with you, but um, mm -hmm. she was tough and resilient. Obviously, she was conditioned and she was fit. But I, I was interested in, if you had seen the fight, I was interested in your take on it simply because some people are actually suggesting that Katie Taylor is the greatest Irish fighter in history. Never mind gender, just she is the greatest Irish glove boxer that we've ever seen. Um, how do, without having seen last night's fight, how do you react to that kind of statement? Well, you know, I think a lot of things happen in boxing. Uh, they look at a win-loss record and they don't look at individuals' abilities. Good evening, Paul. And, and I just think that's it's just, just a shame. That just goes to show you the lack of knowledge that, that is kind of like uh, 
that's inboxing. We just don't have a lot of great knowledge. There isn't a good teaching source that that needs to hit people to what boxing really is. We don't know that. Like we don't get that across. Not enough people are are are, are saying boxing is more than just the primitive urge to punch someone in the face or the ability to take a punch. There are just so many other things happening at the same time, and that's what needs to be gotten across so people can then start to open their experiences and open their eyes and see really what a truly great fighter is. What are the attributes that make up a great fighter? That's what needs to be discussed. I, I understand that. We've spoken about it at length over our acquaintanceship online over the years. Yes. But um, one thing which we differ on, perhaps, mm -hmm. um, is that I say ultimately it comes down to who did you fight, who did you beat, who mm -hmm. beat you in and around your prime or anywhere near the kind of relevant yeah. relevance of a defeat, yeah. unlike mm -hmm. Mike Tyson versus Kevin McBride or Muhammad Ali versus Larry Hobbs and Trevor Burbick, which I yeah. think on good grounds, I could consign them to the, the, the dustbin of meaninglessness. Yeah. Um, so that, so I look at, you know, I look at um, prime losses and I look at who did you beat and when mm -hmm. did you beat them? Because those factors, as you know, are, are relevant as just addressed. So, and you're like, well, no, boxing is always in the here and now. It's always about ability and it's always about, you know, and it's something that you'll you will never make a call on if you've not seen a fighter and been able to study him because you regard that as just a, a bunch of wooden soldiers and statistics when you look at when you hear about someone like Harry Greb. Whereas I'm like, well, no, my only problem with that, and, and I've thrown this example at you a lot, is that Colin McMillan, Sweet C. McMillan, who won, briefly held the WBO featherweight title in the 90s, looks like Sugar Ray Leonard Light on film. You know, he looks a million yeah. dollars. Yeah, but uh, and Carlos Monzon looks relatively—I'm not going to say ordinary—but he looks kind of dour and relentless, mm -hmm. and he wins. But he's sure, but you can't, but you don't see anything special there. You do not see anything special visually to to, to the eye of a connoisseur like Michael Elijah Jr. But he is leagues greater than Colin McMillan, for instance. And I could yeah. give you other examples like Ed Hobson, of fighters who looked absolutely beautiful in the ring, and you could be exactly. like, what a silky, cool stylist. But, but, but looking, ultimately, but looking, that's but, your achievement, accomplishments. Yeah, but Ben, but looking, but looking like, you know, smooth and you're looking fancy, you can do the shuffle and all the rest of that stuff. That's just uh, a personality. That's an attitude. That's not really a, like a, an, an attribute uh, that, that you can like many people just have like the superficial styles and then there's the substance that comes in underneath. And, and that's what okay. I'm talking about. So I'm talking about like, um, so it's not just your ability to throw the jab or your ability to, to do the Ali shuffle or, you know, do the and walk off and do the, you know, as a yeah, Jessica, walk off. yeah, that that's all dressing. I'm talking about substantial substance, like, um, like uh, being able to slip punches, blocking, parrying, uh, fainting, uh, actually hooking off the jab, like things that are just not as predictable. You know what I mean? Um, double triple, like double tripling a jab to the body, for instance. You know, things like that 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 aren't. You know, uh, throw the I threw the left. Now I'm throwing the right. Now I'm throwing the left hook. That's all like ABC one two three kind of stuff. And that's you know those those are individuals that are still pretty much new to the game and new to the sport, new to the fight. They don't have the kind of, uh, the kind of talent that's causing them to elevate that causes them to have to elevate their game and do more than just the basics to win. And that's basically, I mean, without, it's not women's fault, but that's basically women's boxing right now. 
I, I don't yeah. see slipping, parrying, blocking, fainting, the footwork, not even from the best in women's boxing right now. Am I seeing stuff? I'm seeing a lot of aggression, maybe even more exciting than men's fights. A lot of what people feel it is because it is that. But I'm just saying um, it, it's it's not the Western Hemisphere's martial art. You know what I mean? I would say some of the, like Katie Taylor has skills and craft and, and obviously she's a, a decorated amateur and she was a kind of trailblazer winning the, the, the two Olympic titles as she did, as did Clarissa Shields. But but what Katie Taylor, for instance, to me resembles an elite amateur fighter still in some ways, you know, with the, I mean, the two minute rounds probably have some influence on that. And um, that kind of in and out kind of boxing, you know, which, which you see is often successful in the amateurs and to a certain degree with, with certain fighters in the pros, but there tends to be certain adjustments, which involves being a little less mobile and a little less side to side all the time. If you don't have to be, you know, for reasons of pacing yourself and also for reasons of generating more power, right? Because, and because that's you, another thing. And that's another thing, Ben, I don't believe in that at all. They say, uh, if you're bouncing up and down and in and out and you're fighting like an amateur and it's absolutely wrong. Here's what happens, and this is why we're, I know we're going to segue into Lomachenko, but this is why Lomachenko was yes. so successful earlier on. He carried his amateur style into the pros, and people couldn't deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Now, here's the thing. If, if everybody is doing the same thing, flat-footed, and throwing punches from a flat-footed stance, when you finally meet somebody who gets up on his toes and bounces and moves and in and out and faints and does like an amateur style, quick release of punches and throwing in combination – Who's really like at the advantage here? It's the person you're not going to see much of, right? Well, that, the, that the, is why that's why a young Cassius Clay took the heavyweight division in the boxing world by storm, despite yeah, he was doing what the uh, didn't do. That, you know, he was and, and, he, and he was being told by old pros and uh, older fighters in the gym since he was a kid. One of these days, you're going to get your head knocked off, son, fighting yeah. like you do with your hands down and leaning back like that. You know, yeah, yeah. But, well, and, and and you know, and you're wasting your energy bouncing up and down and all the rest of that kind of stuff. You got to be more like Joe Lewis and just step in and shuffle yeah. and throw the punches. And this is every fighter that moves gets the same thing. I had it when I came to New York. People were saying that to me as well. You bounce too much. You did. That's what and, they said to me. Gets to you, unless you're somebody who's really made of like a real solid, you know, um, who have a real strong sense of themselves. Be, you have to have a real strong sense of yourself to withstand that kind of battling. And, and Ali had that really strong mental like, psyche that he could do that. Well, other people like myself, I kind of like, relented a little bit. I was like, oh, maybe I am missing something. Maybe I do need to do something in order to like crack the top 10 or, or to get the world title and all the rest of that kind of stuff. But in retrospect, I'm like, no, stick with what works. Stick with what's you because your fight, how your fight style is your personality. Those two mesh. And once you take one out of the way, you you know, the other one falters as well. And you know what? The other thing they probably said to you, I know they said it to me as, as a young amateur with this flashy style, particularly because I was uh, coming up in a fairly unfashionable rural area in the 1980s. They said you were in too Say again? They said, they said I was too pretty. You too, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. You know, well, yeah, I used to get a little bit of that kind of... Um, kind of negative sort of reviews way back in the day. Long time ago, you understand. But um, no, but the other thing they told me, and I'm sure they said to you as well, is, yeah, but look, that's great, but there's only one Ali. So you shouldn't aspire to greatness. You shouldn't aspire to brilliance. You should just be ordinary like every other fool because you yeah, yeah. you didn't deserve to aspire to something, you know, 
something great like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, I'm sorry. The power. I forgot to. I forgot to pay my rent. So, yeah, I knew things were going to turn bad sooner or later. <laughs> okay. There we go. Sorry. There we go. Let there be light. Yeah, you know. So, that was James. I think that was James Tony sent the lights out. Yeah, th that's a nice reference. If you don't understand Michael Elijah's reference then about James Tony, then get off this broadcast. We are elitist. We're not here to educate the masses. If you don't pass an entry level exam, then we don't want you. Quite frankly, you were saying so. <laughs> Um, I forgot what I was saying. I took too many we were shots, talking about Ali. We were talking about we were talking about amateur yeah. styles. We were talking about Katie Taylor. We were about yeah. to segue, as you said, into Vessel Lomachenko. You know what? Yes. I mean, I, I love you, Michael, because I, I was phoning it in and reading off a script a little bit then, and you pulled me up. And and I can't disagree with you because what you're saying is the tr triumph of my tradition, and that is my instincts 100. percent I was talking yes. about the amateur style and the pro style. When actually, I don't believe that yes. to, to any great degree. I was I was a little bit on cruise control then, and you pulled me up and said, "Well, no, that's wrong." So, okay, but Katie Taylor does have some prestigious of technique. Mm -hmm. uh, she she is a good counter puncher. She does have good footwork. She does have good balance. Mm -hmm. Power, I'm not particularly sure mm -hmm. about. I mean, obviously, she can hit respectably within the context of of her division and her gender. Um, and it is what it is. Certainly, commercially, women's yeah, boxing. Okay, so let me really ask you that. Well, hold on, Ben. Before we go even further on that, let's talk about punching and women punching and men punching. And we'll sure. see that, like, female boxing, like, with the Lucia Riker was maybe the only female puncher that I've seen. And maybe um, Ali's. Uh, um... What about Anne Wolf? Yeah, and then Wolf. Yes, exactly. Very few, though. You get, you can count them on one hand. Have there been great female punches? Whereas as a guy, I would look at him and say, "Yeah, I wouldn't want to get hit by her either." You know what yeah. I mean? And and that's because the technique again, um, because women are rushed through the ranks, and there aren't that many of them, and their coaches don't take them seriously, but they want them to show the heart. They're like, well, nobody wants to see you guys cry, so you better go out there and get rough. And and so instead of paying attention to their technique and teaching them how to punch properly, so then the punches, even even um, uh, the fight that was two weeks ago, um, the, the girls are punching, in there and their joints are locked. Like, like yeah. the joints are like the joints in the elbow and the shoulder and their and the wrist they're not locked so when they're punching it's in sections it's got the the body goes then the arm goes uh, and then the, like the wrist goes and then the fist goes and, and it's like that's not proper fight kinetics you know what I mean this has all got a lock it, it's that kinetic chain the wrist is gonna it's gonna land in, in on the middle finger knuckle lock the wrist lock the elbow hit the shoulder, then you can put the weight of your body behind it, and that's what gives, creates the powerful punch. Nothing else. Yeah. It's weight. And I, and I like, can... Power is weight plus speed, right? Yeah. So so maybe we will see that the women's game commercially has definitely arrived. They were talking last night about a return to Ireland for Katie Taylor's at Croke Park, where you might remember Muhammad Ali fought Al Blue Lewis there in Dublin. They're talking about an 80,000 crowd and a rematch with Amanda Serrano, who I remember you saying she was super hot, regardless of anything else. I do remember you making that. Um, you were saying, is that still allowed in, by today's filter? Or, or is it actually a comment non grata? But in any case, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that did unfold. Um, so, But in order to get some of the changes we're talking about or some of the excellence at all levels that we're talking about in the female game, I think it will need to come from those generations where they started as kids like, like 
a lot of a lot of guys did you know when they were eight years old nine years old and ten years old and so on talking of someone who did start at that kind of young uh, childhood age let's talk about Vasil Lomachenko extended yes. more than somewhat last night by Jermaine Ortiz who himself yeah. looks a very good fighter he looked about three divisions bigger than Loma what did you make of it he did uh, he did look bigger um Lomachenko high-tech Lomachenko right um, I, I'm like, I'm almost like when he came up from, well, he should be able to handle because he is all about the technology, technological parts of boxing. They were saying, you know, he's slipping, he's blocking his angles, all the rest of that kind of stuff. And he is amazing. No doubt about it. He's absolutely amazing. I think he also does too much. Yeah. He does more than he has to. Um, you should have blanked out for a second. Your screen's black. And no, you, you, yours did. Yeah. You, yours. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. People... I don't know what happened, but you, your 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 audio is perfect, and I can hear you okay. what you're saying. But you froze. All right. All right, cool. So, so Lomachenko has the same problem that other fighters would have, and even though his fight his fight style looks high tech and he has all these different abilities to him, he's still that's still considered one style. So he's kind of like a Swiss Army knife. He can do many different things when all he needs is one thing. All he needs is the knife. But when he when he goes into when he went into that fight last night against this kid, and he and I think the same thing with um, with uh, the you know the I'm sorry I'm punching the fight that he lost <laughs> against Tiafimo uh, Lopez. Tiafimo Lopez, yes. Um, he he's he can do so much. He doesn't know what to do, and he can't yeah. commit to one style. And if you can't commit to one style, you can't get the experience. You can't do all the things you need to do in boxing. So, so he'll go in there and he'll like he'll pivot to the side and he'll do that and he'll get an angle and blah 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 and then he'll turn him and spin him and do all the rest of that. It's unneeded. It's it's unnecessary and it's you know it's just overkill really. He just funny needs to go in there that. as a basic fighter and do his stuff. Sorry, go ahead. Very funny you should say that because there's a there's a Facebook commentator called Jeremiah Pricer. I think he pronounced his surname. He's from Denver, and he yeah. was saying the same thing. He thinks that. Um, the, Lomachenko needs to better minimize his strategy and his yeah. approach and, and, to, and, to, and to downsize his best assets, as it were, yeah. you know, to, to, into a more effective package, particularly now he's getting a little bit older as a fighter. You know, yeah. he's, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I he's yeah. 30, is he 34, I believe, Lomachenko. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. uh, some people are saying that the, the wear and tear, and, you know, of a gargantuan amateur career is finally catching up with him and you're seeing a degree of burnout and a degree of father time, which tends yeah. to afflict the smaller guys a, a little more quickly. And yeah. other people are saying, no, you know what, he's just been out of the ring for a year. Um, There's he's that. not a lightweight anyway. And, and yeah. he'll be better when he, you know, if he comes up against Devin Haney. Um, do he's you a little have... bit of everything, but I can see the Haney fight being a problem for him. I can, yeah. I can see the fight being a problem, but I can also see it being a problem for Haney as well. But the thing is... Um, Lomachenko looks a little bit more apprehensive now. Uh, you know what I mean? He doesn't yeah. seem to have that same, like, th there's hesitation, whereas before there wasn't. And, and um, 
that's and, and when he when he gets hit, there's a definite reaction. Like I see him, I, I guess maybe before I never saw him getting hit, but since the uh, Tiafimo Lopez fight, uh, it seems like he's not quite willing to. Not that he should, but he's not willing to stand in there anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I think I think it can affect a fighter's psyche. When I don't it's think he was affected by the loss to Salido because it was. It was so implausible that he was challenging for a world title, at, you know, in his second pro fight. Mm-hmm. And he, he did lose kind of heroically. And like I say, it was such an audacious thing to undertake. It wasn't really the kind of thing that put a dent in a fighter's psyche. But I think the the, the nature of the Teofimo Lopez loss yeah. was a little bit more um, demystifying, perhaps yeah. internally, you know, for himself. Yeah. yeah, because there was and, nothing uh, that he seemed to be able to do with it. Even when he tried to turn it on against his kid, I thought he won against the kid last night, but I, I didn't. Like when he tried to turn it on and get him out, he couldn't. And, and yeah, the kid was bigger, obviously, but um, yeah, or, or appeared stronger, or appeared really strong. But the kid wasn't uh, multiple levels of of complexities. He he's pretty raw. He's pretty basic. And and if and if Lomachenko stayed the basics like block the kid's jab, slip and counter, just basic stuff like double up on a jab, throw that right hand or left hand down the pipe, you know what I mean? Just basic things, turning over just a good solid hook. I think he could have done a whole lot better because to me that that the, the kid didn't look that complex that he couldn't couldn't get him out if he did wanted to step on it. One thing about Ortiz was he threw a lot of punches. He was busy and he, he had decent hand speed. Yes. They threw a lot of combination punches in a way that Devin Haney might not choose to do. Yeah. Devin Haney's, uh, he, he's interesting. I, I um, Him and Stevenson, I'm, I'm not quite like, they're obviously high quality. They're very, very, they're excellent fighters. Um, I just, there's still that, that thing missing that makes them like the Durans, the Leonards, the personalities that, you know, you want to really sink your teeth into. You watch the fight yeah. because you love boxing. You don't watch the fight because they you love them. You know what I mean? Like, sure. we're looking for that personality. Gervonta Davis is that kind of personality. You want to tune in. You're like, okay. Well, the, the, the big fight they're talking about in the lightweight division right now is Gervonta Davis and Ryan Garcia, where yeah. they've, they've been increasingly close to a deal according to all the kind of social media leaks and statements from both parties yeah. recently. Uh, the, but the most recent quote I saw from Garcia was that he says, I want to fight Tank and Tank wants to fight me. They've made an offer which I've instructed my team to get it done just as it's been offered and I don't seek to contest anything. I want to fight and I want to fight that guy. Uh, and he said, it's a shame that we, we need to stop this bullshit, basically. When we look, he said, with all due respect, boxing shouldn't be defined by celebrity YouTubers doing this, that or anything else. And we need to get this over the line. And I'm willing to, he said, I'm not even that concerned about the, the financial particulars, you know. Uh, and this, you know, inevitably there'll be arguments. Mm-hmm. There's the stumbling block with the networks, you know, with the zone mm-hmm. and yeah. with, uh, and, and uh, PBC, right? I think it would be... Yeah. Um, so, See, same thing. Like quickly, Ben, just on, on that one point you hit on, on the financials, not worried about the financials. That's Those are the wrong words coming out of a fighter's mouth, but you can't win either way. Like for a fighter to say, I'm not worried about the financials, they are what they are. To be fair, he didn't say that, by the way. That's me putting oh. words in his mouth. Oh, All okay. he said is they made an offer and I instructed them to get it done as offered. He said, oh, okay. he, All right, God. So the implication was he had nothing to contest on the offer yes. at all. Okay. All right. 
right. So, I mean, that all makes sense to me. I mean, I think that is a very interesting fight. That's colorful. That's, um, that's two guys extremely fast, extremely powerful, young, energetic. They have a lot going on. And they have the personalities that will draw you in. So not the average person will see it. That is, to me, the best fight in the lightweight division right now. And, and possibly in boxing, all of boxing. Maybe so. And, and, and if I, if I um, put you on the spot, who would you pick? I, I'm going – I can see how um, Garcia – how we can give him a problem because he's – that kid is uh, – I'd go a Tank. Yeah. I think I, I would – I was talking to Mike Ayala um, over the weekend – Mm-hmm. And he was saying that he he, he favors Garcia just because he's the bigger guy, obviously because he's talented mm-hmm. and he's a good puncher and he's offensively, you know, he's a good, he's a fine offensive fighter, yeah. um, but a bit of star quality. But he said he fancies the bigger guy yeah. when it comes well, down to it. But I, I'm with you. I think yeah. Tank carries his power up to wherever, and, and yeah, I just yeah. he's, got a, he's got a lot of layers and a lot of textures, which can be a problem for just so many fighters in the world. Between yeah, yeah. absolutely one five and one forty. Yeah. So Garcia is um, like he has great attributes about him. He's got speed. Uh, I'm not sure about how he operates under, you know what I mean, when the heat is on and he's getting hurt. And is he, well, we've is seen he him get off the deck. We've seen him get off the deck yeah. and win a fight. True. True. But he didn't get, and, and the kid he got up off the deck off was young and sharp. And, you know, I don't know if that kid had an extra gear. I didn't have the kind of gear like, like, uh, Tank. Yeah, tank, like Tank, for instance. But, you know, anytime you get up off the canvas and you're able to come back and win, that's a plus. That's absolutely in my book. Sure. Okay. Um, moving on to an update on the Conor Ben situation. I suspect this story is going to play out for a while. But yeah. the update from this side of the pond, which is relevant because it wasn't, it wasn't, the case when we spoke last week was that Conor Ben was called to a hearing with the British Boxing Board of Control regarding allegations of misconduct, which actually were not related to any doping issue. It was something else, but nobody knows what it was. Or Well, some people do, but I don't know what it was and nobody publicly knows what it was. But he was called for the board on a hearing. I think it was at the start of last week, okay? And he, rather than attend the hearing with the, the regulatory body in this country... He rescinded his British Boxing Border Control licence. In actual fact, to be even more specific, Eddie Hearn was at pains to stress that it, actually his licence has lapsed. Now, that means you have to renew it every year, right? And you have to mm-hmm. pay the license fee and loads of no issues. You, you, you renew your licence every year. But yeah. uh, that must have run out at some point in the last few couple of weeks because he was, go- he was going to fight on October the 8th. So he was obviously mm-hmm. active then. So at some point between October the 8th and last week, his license must have been up for renewal. He opted not to renew it because then he doesn't have to attend the hearing, you know, and they can't, they can't yeah, say anything to him. Ask him or anything, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, what, that's what he's done. And he's, from his point of view, from, uh, as mostly voiced by Eddie Hearn in actual fact, although Conor Ben did give a couple of big interviews to the Sun newspaper and the Times newspaper, that this kind of like one for the peasants who, you know, work on building sites and, and yeah. talk about the things that, that working yeah. men talk about in cafes. Yeah. I'm, I'm parodying and being before we get complaints. Yeah. Yeah. And then one for the more kind of intellectual broadsheet readers. So he, he tried to cover the, you know, the cultural, um, soci- sociological basis, and he gave two interviews. But but it was Hearn that was saying that he basically thought the um, being called for, to answer the charges of misconduct about something allegedly unrelated, 
he got really pissed off about that apparently he thought it was really unfair and it led him to be it made him get the hump as it were to use a, a cockney phrase with the border control and it made him doubt that he would get fair process at their end for any involvement they might have had in this situation and any decision they might subsequently make so consequently he decided you know sod you and he's actually made a statement in his interview with the sun and the times that he will never box for the british boxing border control again the hell with them and he cited the time his dad allegedly tore his license up on live television because they wouldn't accept his manager ambrose mendy who was who, who and they thought it was on racist grounds that, that it was a closed shop and they weren't letting young black brothers in you know, to, to help guide other young black brothers. Yeah, yeah. To tell you the truth... Which uh, is an absolutely that, different point altogether. There you go, Michael. Well done. Because somebody said, listen, if he was standing up for equality and for his friend and loyalty, that's one thing. You were, you were tying in your license in because you failed two drug tests. That was the other thing. Sorry, Michael. <laughs> the other update, he failed another drug test in July, not just the one at the end of August yeah. or the start of yeah. September. And they didn't tell Team Eubank about the first fail, by the way. Nobody told them that, allegedly, once again. The Eubank said they didn't know about that. They just knew about the second one, and they yeah. were still prepared to fight and, and yeah. get, get that big, yeah. get paper. Well, let me ask you a question, Ben. Does cheating ever get, like, unfulfilling in, in anything? Like, that's, like, people cheat, and then they, they get caught, and they get upset. Or people cheat, and they win. When, doesn't that ever get unfulfilling? Doesn't that ever, like... How can you be okay with that? That's just well, what baffles me. Like, how do you go? How do you cheat? Beat somebody in the ring because you know you cheated, and be okay with. And how are you okay with that afterwards? Well, the thing is, his okay. his point of his whole defense still, which and he has aired it to a degree as as basic and predictable as it was, is that it must be contamination via chicken or eggs or chicken chicken eggs to be more precise you know which is what that's eggs from chickens uh the trouble with that is it's been established that clomiphene is not authorized for use in animals in the uk farm-fed animals in the uk so he must have got chicken eggs that were imported if indeed he has somehow ingested this <laughs> offending substance which was found in his system not once but twice you know so but he's still absolutely arguing he's innocent eddie hearn is going all out there saying I believe he's innocent, you know, and and the the apology better be as loud as the disrespect, you know. I think has emanated from both of their lips at some point in the last couple of weeks. Mm. So he is still trying to argue that, Michael. What I want to know is where will this legal battle be fought? Eddie Hearn keeps saying he's got a fight ahead, and he's and it's a fight he's got to fight on his own. You know, we're not involved with his defense. We we're loyal to him, we're his friends, and we're here. But he's going to have to do this on his own. Where yeah. will it be done, and in what kind of legal forum? Because um, he's not now a license holder with the British Boxing Board of Control, so it won't be he won't be attending any hearings with them in the near future. So will it be a UKED um, trial process? It won't be VADA, I don't believe, because I don't think VADA do that. I think they just do their do their job very well. They make their results known to whoever asks them to, you know, whoever pays them to do to conduct the testing. Yeah. So the only legal process I can imagine can be. Could be with you, Ked, unless, of course, he decides to take somebody to court over this situation. You know, you know, I, you know I think, Ben, I think like this is all just semantics and silliness. And I mean, you know, we know what it is. We know there's no Santa Claus. We know, we know what things are and what they are. And we all have these, we all have human nature. We know how human nature is. We know how it works. We know how individuals work. Listen, if a person can't look at the facts and know that 
this young man, uh, you know, I don't want to say I don't want to judge him because because he's a fighter and I and I and I understand the hardships of a fi- of a fighter and the efforts, but also his opponent was subject to these things and could have been seriously hurt. So at the same point, I I want I'd want to stand up for Eubank as well and and the fact that cheating is just not. I mean, we all know it's not good, it's not fair, it's not straight, and the man should just—he doesn't have to own up. He owned up by actually saying he didn't want anything to do with. He doesn't want the British boxing control thing anymore. He's maybe he's going to move to the states and start fighting here. All of us, that kind of stuff. That's all well and good. That's good. We know what the story is. We know you cheated. You did your whatever you had to do. You won't be the only one in the sport to do it. But you know what? Take it, learn from it, and and you know. I don't know. I don't know what else to say, but it's like it's it's kind of it's, it's kind of it's a little bit infuriating when people start playing you for the fool and they're always taking you yeah. for you know trying that, to take you for a ride and it's just tiring and after all it's boring and it's like you know what I mean like dude move on. Well, you know the thing is people because he said he's spending hundreds of thousands of pounds on clearing his name, you know, and he's got the best scientists on this and everything. He's not, now, no way. <laughs> I, I made the I made the mistake of doing that one time of trying to uh, clear up uh, a fallacy that happened in boxing, and um, it, w- it was actually a fight that I had, and there was all sorts of controversy that happened. I took it to court. The worst thing I should I should have just accepted it because you spend money on legal fees, all of us that kind of stuff, and you end up nowhere different than where you were when you started, and that's just how it works. And that's exactly and and Ben, if he's spending hundred thousands of pounds on it, no, I, I don't believe that at all. He's not he's not he's not trying to protect his name. He's prote- he's trying to protect his name for as much as he can talk about it, and they'll put him on TV. If they put a camera in his face, he knows what he wants to say. But he's not—he's not shown the effort of trying to get like uh, like Vada and different individuals that take measurements and Bennett. Uh, uh, he's not going that way with it, and that's because he knows what it is. He knows what it is. He knows the truth, and so we know the truth because he knows the truth. Okay, we shall see how the situation resolves itself in the next. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long it's going to take, weeks, months, but we shall see. And no doubt we will comment where appropriate. Um, And are you going to care down the road? Say again? Are you going to care down the road? I mean, you know exactly what he is already. Michael, for me, Connor Ben, right? Okay. I met him when I did an evening with Nigel Ben in 2015. And Nigel was over from Australia where he lives, I believe, to this day. And he had his son with him, you know, and his son was a young up-and-coming pro, nice kid, pretty unassuming, quite quiet, um, just nice kid. Um, then he, I did watch him evolve into this kind of conglomeration of ego tattoos and sponsors over the yeah. years. Yeah, and I bumped yeah. into him, you know, I bumped into him over the years in the gym sometimes, you know, yeah. and he did seem to mutate into this caricature, which I felt was getting a little bit gassed to use yeah. the the kids uh, phrase, you know, um, yeah. phrase. and I understand that because, you know, you, I totally understand how your ego can get swollen by certain circumstances, especially when you're making a fortune and starting to blow guys away. And people are starting to think, you know what? He's not just this pale imitation of his dad that we couldn't take seriously. He's a genuine world-class fighter. So say, and he's got all these kind of uh, commercial options and, 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 you know, obviously everybody was, 
the diehards, some of the diehards were knocking the Eubank Jr. thing and saying it didn't make sense and it was a bit of a fallacy and it shows that we've degenerated into this celebrity culture. But a lot of them, most of them were up for it. And my, even myself, I thought it was a, it was an interesting fight and I was looking forward to watching it. But, um, you know, but I have seen him change that way. So the, um, I never thought he was... I never thought it, it was an overly interesting fight for me to watch personally. I didn't want to be too prejudiced against him just because, yeah. you know, because we see sometimes, I think I suspect people like you and me, we, we, we have a, a kind of a relationship with the father, you know, even if it's on a kind of just on a, on a watching yeah. basis. Yeah. And we're loath to accept that. And, he, you know, like Muhammad Ali's grandson, I, I have a feeling that you're not knocked out by that whole concept and you automatically almost, almost your kind of instinct is for him not to be very good and just be some kind of... Um, media yeah. creation because I think we'd rather we, we don't really want to fuck with the original right so that was kind of the way no, I'm not saying I'm a big you know devotee of Nigel Ben, but that's kind of my default position anyway on the sons or grandsons of of either domestic greats or, or yeah, yeah. global icons you know so, yeah. so no, well, I, they, I certainly, they certainly can't be their fathers or grandfathers we understand that they're not going to be their blood relatives no, you know, no matter what like Hector Camacho's son was not Hector Camacho and as much as they dress up and then they have their last share the same last name in the genetic, uh, you know what I mean? The same chromosome. It's just not. It's just not the same thing. I always say it, but the best son of an established world champion. And when I say an established world champion, I mean an established name. He he certainly didn't establish himself as a world champion for long, but he is an iconic name. The best wow. son of that kind of individual was Corey Spinks. I think he was probably better than wow. Leon. All things considered, wow. if you look at any other examples where the where the son was much better than the father, it was because the father didn't get all the way to the mountain top, but he established a, a decent bar like Floyd Mayweather Senior and Junior. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And Buster Douglas, Bill Douglas, Bill Dynamite Douglas, and and, and yeah. James Bond Douglas. But you don't see f f guys who won world championships who spawn a son who ends up surpassing them. That's what Nigel Ben said at this this evening that I did with him in Chigwell uh, in East London back in the day, he said that he will surpass me, you know, and that's just a father's love for his son, you know, yeah. but yeah. I remember being skeptical at the time. And mm -hmm. yeah, I am a bit more skeptical now. And I've given you a very long answer. You asked me, would I care down the road? I could have simply <laughs> said no and moved on. Yes. I gave you all that. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, had, I had a question for you. Is reach a mythical advantage? No, I think it's real, but I think it's not incircumventable because, you know, and it's not unsurpassable. You know, people always give the example. They say that you can beat a taller fighter with a good jab, right? That's one of the things they say, which you may or may not disagree with. Because, see, I talk to most people in boxing, right, Michael? And mm -hmm. particularly since a lot of people, obviously you, you wouldn't be included in this, but some people feel like they're slightly out of their depth with me anyway because of what the reputation I've managed to kind of build. And some of them may not feel that way but i'll say something like you know the, the safe comfortable cliches like timing beats speed and a good jab can beat a taller fighter and they will just nod automatically you will never do that on a knee-jerk basis so i don't know what you feel about that but i think you can certainly you can certainly beat taller fighters with longer arms than you that's not that is well well established but i would say it is an advantage for the most part unless somebody's style and attributes is so well adapted to fighting taller fighters like you know you get like a peak Mike Tyson Muhammad Ali certainly believed it was a huge advantage when Ali was going into a fight that he regarded as taxing or even potentially suicidal let's say in the case of George Foreman mm -hmm. the fear that he felt the healthy amount of fear that he felt gave him the need to 
to erect this wall of ego around himself. And he would take a lot of care in breaking down why this was a mismatch in his favour in the media. He would go through a guy like Foreman's record and be like, look, he fought this guy in his seventh fight. He was a nobody. In my seventh fight, I fought this guy who was actually a giant slayer. And he mm -hmm. would keep going and going through it. So it was like he was trying to convince himself. And in the yeah. early days of talking about that fight with George Foreman, he was talking about how much longer his reach was than Foreman's. And he said, even a quarter inch is an advantage. And, and, and he had, I think he, because he had one and a half inches reach on Foreman. Like, don't quote me. I can't quite yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was saying even a quarter inch is an advantage. And I have this, you know, relative um, chasm of reach. So he thought so. Uh, what do you think? Uh, I, I think it's I, I think it's pretty much mythical. I mean, but again, it, it all depends on your trainer's belief system. You're absolutely right. It, it's about how you're taught, like reflexes, timing, those are the major engines that drive a fighter. Um, if you have a reach advantage, that reach advantage, if you're fighting a short advantage, a short armed fighter, but who knows how to slip punches and make you miss, it all of a sudden becomes a disadvantage. Because the because every time you throw that punch, your opponent's able to slip. Yeah. You extend with the punch and you leave everything open and, and they're in a, a particularly good position to, you know, to follow up with counters. And that's one of the, you know, there's just some of the things that I always found kind of like intriguing, like these, these myths, like, um, uh, oh, what was another one I was thinking? Um, do, 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 uh, height reach advantage. Um, that, yeah, like height advantages. People say there's a height advantage. That's almost like incredible to me that they could say that. No one's so tall. I, I tell you what, here's an interesting thing. I was talking to a basketball player. I was training him. This is many years ago. And and he was, I guess he had to be about 6'9". Six, 6'9". Nine, six, nine. He'd never fought before, but he was 6'9", basketball player. Big, physical guy. And um, he, Manny Pacquiao was was uh, boxing at the time and height of his popularity. And, um, and his wife loved Pacquiao. <laughs> so, so he goes, so we were training and he goes, you know, Manny Pacquiao is so small. I met him. I would, I would do this. I would do that. And I, and I was like, oh, no, no, hold on a minute. Yeah. He may be, he may be five, six or five, five or five, four, but he's still not too short that he couldn't catch you on the chin. You know what I mean? So, so as you talk about height events, just six, nine, Pacquiao is five, four. He will still hit him in the chin and knock him out and beat him. Even as a 126, 135-pound fighter, he would. And he did it, and he did that kind of thing with Antonio Margarito, uh, you know, who was much taller than him. Yeah. It'd be interesting to isolate examples. I did an article once for a magazine called Fighting Fit. Yeah. And they were, they wanted two monthly articles running one after the other. The first one was tips for a taller fighter against a shorter guy. It, mm -hmm. You know what? It's probably the other way around for us because it's perceived as the as the disadvantage. The mm -hmm. first month's article was tips for a shorter fighter to defeat a taller opponent, mm -hmm. and we broke it down with a trainer over here called Alan Smith, who's quite well known, and a couple of fighters called Sam Webb and Bradley Skeet. Mm -hmm. And then the next week, we did the other way. Uh, we did the the other side of the coin when we looked at ways. Uh, I think they called the article "Get Shorty" on my suggestion, and it was about you know tips for the taller fighter how to maximize mm -hmm. his so-called advantages. You know, yeah. but um. I don't think it, it's like Southpaws, isn't it? When people say, oh, what do you do against a Southpaw? Or I don't like fighting yeah. Southpaws. I'm sure you would say it depends how good the Southpaw is. And, you know, and it's yeah, yeah, absolutely. you yeah. deal with the problems you have in front of you, you know. And I think, I don't, anybody who is intimidated by someone who's just because they're taller and got a long reach. I mean, if it's Tommy Hearns or Bob Foster, then you've got problems. 
But if <laughs> yes. it's if it's no a guy like a bullet, then you yeah, should yeah. be okay if you if, if you can fight. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm besmirching Jess Willard's name, aren't I? But I don't, I don't think he did anything particularly special during his uh, career, except for you know knocking out Jack Johnson in the 26th round in Cuba, mm -hmm. Havana. Mm -hmm. I do think it was a genuine knockout, by the way. I don't think Johnson oh, took do? a dive. I don't, I, know what I, I don't know if I ever really saw that fight or enough of it anyway to know what was up. See, the thing is, that here's the thing. When we start going back to that far in history, there's so many influences. Think of today. They're, they're like, they're like uh, uh, criminal influences in everything, let's just say, right? Yeah. Not that there is that, that, that I know of any in boxing, but I just know that there have been over time. And sometimes yeah. they've drawn very influential, then they get liked, then they go influential influential again. Back then in those days, there are so many reasons to take a dive or whatever. You know what I mean? And it doesn't take very much to um to influence a fighter to do that. Whether it doesn't. I mean, the, the thing with Johnson, though he was certainly living in that kind of ecosystem when you can yes. probably find 101 reasons why such skullduggery might occur. Yes. But to me, Taking that fight in particular, I don't think Johnson would have waited till the 26th round to take a dive. Although it wasn't as hot in the arena as some people have, you know, as, as history has remembered. Apparently, it was only about 74 degrees that day, which is not usually hot for for the you know for that particular time of year in Havana, Cuba. But the fact is, it was still hot. It was still grueling. He was still 37 years old, and he'd still been dissipated by a couple of years of soft living while he was kind of effectively on the run almost with his title, you know, having barred from re... Well, it wasn't barred from re-entering America, it just wasn't a good idea because he was going to get arrested. You know, and uh, but he was he was hit good and proper in the 26th round. Of, yeah. of, people have pointed out before, why would he wait 26 rounds? And for 19 rounds, apparently Johnson was winning and had also yeah. cut Willard's cheekbone, you know, and cut... And, yeah, and caused yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I don't believe... I, I think he just got knocked out, but obviously Johnson, when he was a little older and in need of... Uh, some cash he 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 yeah. sold his confession to the ring magazine and he said you know i've always thought it was fallacious when he said he was shielding his eyes from the sun which proves yeah, that yeah, he, yeah. He, you you can be completely knocked out hurt and buzzed and not getting up and exhausted you can still put your hands up no one's saying you have to be unconscious and incapable of putting your hands yeah, up your yeah, eyes yeah. That's exactly. not an argument. yeah yeah well what's worse to me ben what's worse to me a new punch was invented last night uh, in the Lomachenko, the swivel jab. <laughs> like, where are they? That's that's Tim Bradley. Where are they coming up with this? What? Do you know what? Let's yeah. finish on this then, because Frank Lotierzo, who I think you know, Frank Lotierzo, who's a yeah. pretty cool boxing analyst. Do you know what? For years, it put me off friending and, and hooking up with Frank on Facebook because yeah. this fucking idiot kept talking about how great he was. <laughs> Scottish weirdo freak that I managed to to shed. You know, from my social media many years yeah. ago. Yeah. He kept talking about another great piece from possibly the box an best analyst in the world of boxing, Frank Lotierzo. And he was such a cheerleader. I was like, you know what? Fuck Frank Lotierzo. <laughs> but I've since hooked up with him and I think he's great. You know, he's one yeah. of us. Cool. And I know he won't mind me saying that because he knows I'm saying it in jest today. But yeah. Frank has been very vocal about his distaste. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And incredulity at this recent news speak. He calls it the cool kids and their new kind of argo that they're inventing. Chair Cook is a big one, right? Nobody heard of that. Nobody really seemed to use that before Floyd Mayweather knocked out Ricky Hatton in December 2007. But he's talking about, you know, stuff like the swivel jab, the front foot shuffle. And he said, what the hell is all this bizarre language? Yeah. I, I just I don't understand where it's where it's coming from, and I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's one of those things like we're we're old and we just don't get along with, you know, we don't move uh, at the same time as these as these new people are moving and saying these saying the, like maybe they're giving something a title that and that's going to help define the move uh, maybe that's it i don't know but i just it doesn't make sense to me for someone who's been in boxing for so long who's seen it just called uh, like a uh, like a jab or even a or even an up jab you know it's an up yeah. it's a hybrid between an uppercut and a jab that would call it you'd call it an up jab but you know what i call it a screw yeah. shot if you're talking about if you're talking you always wonder which way you're going with these cameras because yeah, know, whichever right. way left it is right I, yeah. i'm gonna throw yeah so okay there's yeah you, you lean that way and you throw it straight as a die, but you finish with your hand facing up like this, not down like that from a normal jab, regular jab, right? I uh, call that the screw shot. Okay, well, I could see why that would be a screw shot because your hand is like this. Yeah. Now, I've, th- I've thrown jabs like that, which is kind of like a, a like an uppercut jab. and But the thing is like that, what the up jab is faced like that. Because what, that, what this punch does is when a person likes to hold the muffs or come with their hands here, you want to get up in between. You can't force the yeah. glove hand through that through this, but you can get it if you're coming yeah. upwards like that. You know who? You know who was a, who swore by that one? Who's that? Harold Graham. Harold yeah, Graham. It is a great you know, shot. Mercurial Do you know what yeah. he said? The thing is, people get their kind of little dogmas about technique, and it works for them. And they end up trying to impose it on the rest of the universe. Anybody who trains it or anything else. Mm-hmm. And Harold had this thing, rather than saying like you just did, that sometimes you can finish your hand like that with a jab. I'm, I'm going, see how good I am? I'm actually going southpaw for Harold without even thinking unconsciously. Yeah. I'm like, why yeah. am I using this for a jab? Because I'm being Harold right now. He said, yeah. rather than, you know, instead of finishing like that sometimes when you want to get through the gap, yeah. Harold just said, no, don't ever turn your hand over when you're throwing a jab. That was his philosophy. He just said he would punch... Yeah, like that when he yeah. threw the jab. And he, Camacho would actually often throw a southpaw jab like that, you know, because mm-hmm. Teddy Atlas said it was because it was that fraction of a second or millisecond quicker than if he turned his hand over. And if he turned it over, but then it would be that less, that much less powerful. Yes, so you, thank you. You know what I mean? So you're there, there's always, you know, you're six of this, half a dozen of the other. You're pulling one thing one way and it's not going all the other way. But I've always thought like, um, Things like that are very interesting to me. I, I know now more pe- people are starting to find, like, I guess this is a part of developing boxing is the science. I just don't understand how fighters are not all on the same page. Like the gazelle jab. I'm like, okay, well, like that's the gazelle jab is what, like when Hagler hit Hearns and he jumps yeah. in with that right jab. Jump, jump shot. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Is, but, but, but what that is, Ben. Yeah, go ahead. The genealogy of that was that Floyd Patterson and that leaping hook he would throw. Yeah, they called yeah. it the gazelle punch. 
Now, oh. I guess because the footwork is the same uh, with the straight shot, it becomes mm. a gazelle jab. I would accept that one because it has its lineage rooted in proper boxing speak. Mm -hmm. uh, swivel jab, um, yeah. not feeling well, it. But, but the thing is, Ben, the point, the point of the matter is people don't understand that boxing is about adapting to the moment, like in the moment. So that isn't a punch that was practiced and, and, and taught to him. That's something that he... He just like in the spur of the moment, in order to get that man's chin fast, that's what happened. He didn't go in the gym and he hits a speed bag and he goes, Okay, I'm gonna do the gazelle jab now, or the heavy bag or sparring partners. It's like it, it, it's not even a it's not even a thing. It's not like martial arts, they'll say, Okay, I'll teach you how to do the karate chop and then a you know bent over toe hold or whatever it is, you know what I mean? That's not so with boxing. You remember uh, the sequence which, which Buster Douglas knocked down Mike Tyson in Tokyo, right? Yes. Yeah. In nineteen ninety, February eleventh, actually. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm turning into Spencer Fear on there. The, the, I like that. The, the way I felt, you know, inclined to show off and tell you it's February the eleventh. Spencer Fear mm -hmm. does that with every single fight he talks about. He's like, yeah, March the first, nineteen forty-nine, or whatever. But um, <laughs> if that somehow licenses this tag of the knowledge, which he doesn't need, that he's got the knowledge, you know, he doesn't need to do that. Mm -hmm. But. No, but Buster Douglas, um, the finishing punch that he hit Tyson with after that monstrous uppercut and, and the follow-up yeah. shots was yeah. this kind of downward left because he was punching down. The guy, Tyson was ready to go and he just finished with this. If it had been a right hand, you'd think it was like a chopping right hand. But this, it wasn't a jab, it wasn't a hook, it definitely wasn't an uppercut. It was a downward kind of, yeah. almost like an overhand left. But that's not something he would have practiced. It was just the best way he could throw his hands at the man. To, to, yeah, to, he needs to, to get some of the you know, you know it's really interesting because when we, um, I, I was part of the Ali movie with Will Smith and that Michael yeah. Mann shot, and in that we were taken apart, like what Michael wanted to do, Michael Mann, the director, what he wanted to do in that show, in the, in the movie, in that particularly fight scene, particularly the fight scene with George Foreman, is actually emulate what Ali did in that fight in order to. Uh, in order to win that fight. And they said that Ali at one point, and I saw it absolutely different, but that didn't, you know, um, th that Ali, when he hit George Foreman just before the knockdown, he hit him with the punch. He switched his feet to southpaw and hit him with a straight left. And I was yeah. like, that didn't happen. But people see what they want to see. And so the other guys that were given Michael information were like, this is what he did, and this is how it worked. And you can see Ali pivot, but it wasn't to that extreme. It wasn't that Ali pivoted when Southpaw hit, which he rarely did with anybody. Ali was a pretty much always, unless he was, he was always orthodox. He never and and yes. you know what combination? I don't know how it's going to come out on camera, but the combination Ali finished Foreman with was straight right, yeah, straight left, straight yep. right, left uppercut, right yep. hand. Yes. Yep, yeah. and he stood him up with the left uppercut because it was a loose wrist one. Mm -hmm. I remember it went yeah. like this. His yeah. fist went like that. So yeah. he just almost like lifted his chin perfectly into position and bop, hit him with the right hand. And and at some point in there, I should have had the I should have had the video down um, and checked it again beforehand. And they were saying he switched to southpaw, and I was like, no, it didn't happen. Do you know what? In, in future episodes, we should, if we know we're going to refer to certain things, then we yeah. should get little clips because Simon could certainly administrate those for us. Yeah. You know what, Silk? I realize that self-praise is no praise, but I'm wondering where else people could get this kind of insight from 
in a weekly, less than hour long boxing podcast. Um, I'm out of ideas. Don't know about you. <laughs> you know what? I, I, um, I don't. It would be great for us if people really do want to know. Uh, but I, I think people are, are happy with their knowledge and their experience as it is. I, I don't know if anybody, like the way the world is turning these days, the way everything goes uh, quickly, uh, everything goes so quickly and the way people just like take things in and they have their experience and then they feel like they are, you know, experts on it because they've seen it. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not quite sure how popular that's going to be. If we're going to, you know what I mean. But we'll certainly take people to task, and we should certainly, you know, hold fighters responsible for for their uh, for their excellent performance or lack of lack thereof. Tank Can you read that comment by Mas Khan? He says about yeah. Tank beats Garcia. Haney yes. will be too fresh for Mamachenko. If Good. old versus Ramirez is closer Good. than people think. Thoughts uh -huh. on? Romanov versus Barrett. Are we talking about Zelfa Barrett here, Maskan? Yeah, I do not know either one of those two last Romanov or Barrett. Are we talking about Pat Barrett's relative who is challenging soon for a version of a world title? Just clear that up for me, and we can we can you know. Look, to be honest with you, I've got to say, even if even if you clear it up for me, I don't have any strong feelings on it right now. It's something that as it gets closer, I will give you some feedback on for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, uh, Tank and Tank and Garcia. I, I mean, I think that's really, really a great fight. That's that is what he said. Yes. Okay. Is, let, let us think about that. We will come back to that one. I'll even make sure Michael's availed of all the um. So yeah, Zelfa Barrett. I, I, I will. I will hook you up with those details, Silk, and, and give you uh the, the kind of backstory because his his um uncle, I believe it was, was um. Monty Barrett fighter called Pat Barrett, Pat the Black Flash Barrett here. One of those oh. guys who was like a world class talent, but only ultimately ended up with fine, fine domestic achievements. He was a European champion, to be fair, so those continental oh. achievements too. But he could punch like the devil. But he was a gangland kid from a very bad area of Moss Side, traditionally bad area of Moss, sorry, of Manchester called Moss Side, where oh. they really knew how to fight. Those are the yeah. those that took it up. I remember being on a show one night as a teenager in uh, Gloucester, uh, or, and Moss Side had 10 boxers on, and they all 10 of them won, which was, it just struck me, they, they had a certain amount of cachet, as far as I was concerned back then. Pat Barrett, you know, the uncle of, of, of the young lad who he was referring to, was a good fighter whose head got turned by all the street life, you know, which I'm sure we could do a whole bunch of shows about that. Um, Man. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, the influences and the way they go in boxing, I mean, it's that's one of the, it's, you know, it's always streets versus, you know, will a fighter ever leave the streets? Will a fighter ever leave there? I mean, it's pretty much their heritage, you know what I mean, where you're coming from. And if you have to fight for a living, it's, it's one of the toughest forms of profession going, you know what I mean? It's like you really, your body really is your currency. And so your your wallet's only going to be as full for as long as your consciousness is, and uh, an ability. Well, hopefully, I, I suppose the the biggest um, evolution that could occur in the whole culture would be if fighters were right, were better assisted to to deal with life when it's all over, when the glory days are over, and yeah. when the big purses are no longer coming, so people could have revenue streams and pension plans. And all the rest of it, you know. I mean, obviously, Floyd Mayweather laid, laid down a blueprint, which a lot of a lot of young fighters, especially young American black fighters, have really have, have really been, um, you know, influenced by. You know, and they they look at the um, 
the risk management of Floyd's career, as well as his wonderful skills and his strategic approach to the sweet yeah. science. And yeah. I guess they would like to emulate that. But the simple truth yeah. is that there's going to be very few, if any, successes, you know, to that particular blueprint. Yeah, very few. And and you know what? And Floyd's story hasn't been told either yet, right? Like it, that whole thing, we don't know his financial status. We know he's me. We know he has made a lot of money and he has to continue to make money. But he's made a lot of money for a number of things. He made a lot of money because he was extremely exceptional in terms of the talent side. He was extremely shrewd and he had a type of personality that people wanted to tune in either to see him win or to see him lose, but they tuned in to see him for a reason. Now, whether you know that along with his talent. Uh, you know, and and but even before people recognized his talent, I think they were more. Well, I mean, he was talented coming out of the Olympics in his early professional career. Then he got to the stage whereas he wasn't the most exciting fighter going, but he at that point he was able to talk his way into you know turning up big gates, and uh, and and I think that absolutely helped him. But it doesn't mean other people are going to be able to do it because he's the exception to the norm, obviously. Like meeting that kind of talent with that type of, you know, uh, the same with that personality. Those are unique attributes. Absolutely. Um, so it's been a pleasure as always. Um, pleasure is we, mine. We'll be back next week breaking down whatever the latest stories are in boxing. Um, and in the meantime, just don't do anything that we wouldn't do. And if you do... Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.